I learned something this week about how we measure the purity of gold. Of course, we know it is measured on the carat scale. 24 is the highest carat with the purest gold. And it goes without saying that the higher the carats, the purer the gold, the more valuable that piece of gold is. But if you have a piece of, of gold jewelry or a, a gold bar and, and you want to know its worth, you want to know how pure that gold is, how would you go about testing it? I discovered that there are two most popular methods for testing the quality of gold. One is using an electronic tester that actually tests the conductivity of the gold. The electrical current is passed through the gold and based on how it, it passes through, they are able to tell how pure the gold is. A second method is by using some acid, a particular kind of acid. You would, there's a, a touchstone. They would take the gold, they would scrape it across the touchstone and then drip the acid upon that streak And if the gold faded or changed colors, you knew it was a lesser quality gold. But if it retained its same color and did not fade, you would know that it was a higher quality and a better chance of it being pure gold. However, the most accurate test for gold is to use a machine called an X-ray fluorescence spectrometer. And I had never heard of one of these before. This is all new for me. An XRF machine is what it is called. And I'm going to read a description of this process. It says, These machines, which cost several thousand dollars, they send x-rays through the tested item. The material's atoms become momentarily excited and move into a higher energy state. When they return back down to their ground state, they release radiation which the, uh, the XRF machine then detects and reads that radiation. And by analyzing the radiation, the machine figures out exactly what the item is made of, thereby giving us the quality of the gold. You'll be able to tell through that process how that gold is. For gold to be properly valued, it, it must be tested. It must be tested be that through the electric shock, the the acid, or the x-ray machine, it is only once it has gone through the test that we can confidently say what it is worth and what the value of that gold is. Well, in our passage today, we are back in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Paul is going to speak of Timothy as being a man who has proven worth. He has been tested He has gone through difficult things right alongside the Apostle Paul. He has labored in ministry with Paul. And he has proven himself to be a valuable asset in ministry. So again, we are in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm just going to provide a little bit of context for us as we begin to study into this passage this morning. As we come into verse 19 of chapter 2, we're going to see Paul making a little bit of a transition that might seem like a break in his flow of thought, but in reality, he's actually staying on theme as he makes his comments about Timothy and then later Epaphroditus. We're going to see that Timothy and Epaphroditus actually serve as examples of the life that Paul has been calling us to live going all the way back into chapter 1 when he calls us to live lives worthy of the gospel. The emphasis has been upon living lives of humble service to others. 
of having a willingness to lay down our own lives for the sake of humbly considering others as more important than ourselves. We were directly told in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, to do nothing from selfish ambition, but to consider others more important than ourselves. We are told to have the same mindset of Jesus Christ, who gave up everything to serve lowly humanity. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And then we are called to live out this life without grumbling or complaining as we live out our lives to be lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. We are also told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which feels like an impossible task, and it is on our own. Which is why he gives us the encouraging words of the next verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so as we work through those portions of Scripture, we we discovered several principles of humility and how they work themselves out in our lives. We learn that humility is selfless. It is not selfish. Humility prioritizes others. And humility serves others. Well, now as Paul begins to circle back around to some personal matters and address the Philippians on some personal things as how he hopes to send Timothy to them, he gives us some real-life examples of what these principles look like lived out in everyday life. And the first example is the person of Timothy. Look with me, chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Timothy, well, who is this Timothy character? Well, if we go back to the opening of the book, Paul writes that this letter actually comes from Paul and Timothy. They were together as Paul was writing this. And if we recall the book of Acts and and Paul's missionary journeys, if you remember that situation where Paul was talking with Barnabas, and they were going to go back out and and visit all the churches that they had planted. But then they had this disagreement. And a disagreement about a man named John Mark and about whether or not they should take him along in ministry. And they were not able to resolve that disagreement. In fact, they ended up parting ways. Because of that, Barnabas took John Mark and, and went on to do ministry. And Paul ended up selecting a man named Silas, and he went to do ministry someplace else. Well, shortly after that, they picked up this man, Timothy, and Timothy traveled with them on a variety of ministry trips. And, and there's, there's a lot of coming and going, and so I know this is going to be a little bit difficult to track with as we go, but, but just listen to some of the things that, that Paul and Timothy did together. At one point, Paul left Timothy and Silas in a city called Berea. And then after, he arrived, after Paul arrived in the city of Athens, he sent word back to Timothy and Tylus to come when they were able. And they eventually met back up with Paul in Corinth. Paul then sent Timothy back into Macedonia, and then later they met back up together again on Paul's way back to Jerusalem, where he would eventually be arrested and sent to Rome. So there's, there's some coming and there's some going that's Difficult to follow geographical information a little bit. But the point of looking at that and, and seeing, okay, Paul is, has Timothy along with him and then he's sending Timothy out and they're meeting back up together and they're, he's sending him out again. Timothy was a trusted individual 
for the Apostle Paul. They ministered alongside of one another. Timothy went all over with Paul and for Paul. Paul sent him out to to minister, to report, and to find out how churches were doing, to strengthen the churches. Later, Paul will write two letters to Timothy, seeking to instruct and encourage him in pastoral ministry. So we have these two individuals, Paul and Timothy, who they did a lot of ministry together. There was a lot of relationship that had been built there. Paul, uh, Timothy was one of Paul's go-to individuals. And we don't know the details exactly of how it was that Timothy ended up in Rome with Paul, but he did, and there he was. And, and so he, Paul now, as he presents Timothy, seeking to send Timothy to the Philippian church, he presents Timothy as an example of what a life of humble service looks like. And Paul is going to say that Timothy is a man of proven worth. He is a man of proven worth. And from this example of Timothy, we have three principles of humble service. A proven servant cares for others. A proven servant proclaims the gospel. And a proven servant is trustworthy. So we're going to look at each of those three things in turn. First, a proven servant cares for for others. Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 21 begin reading it already, but I hope in the Lord, Paul writes, to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered of news cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> So Timothy was with Paul, and Paul was anticipating the day when he would send Timothy to the Philippians. And, and there's a situation, okay, you're going to go to the church, you're going to encourage the church, you're going to minister amongst that church, and then you're going to report back to me the things that are going on there. And Paul had this confidence. He, he expresses this confidence in the Philippian church that, that he's going to be cheered by news of the church. That when Timothy goes and finds out how things are going and again brings a report back to Paul, that Paul's going to be encouraged. He's going to be cheered. He's going to be encouraged by that news. And so Paul had this great confidence in the church that there would be a good report that would be brought back. And Paul also had confidence in the man that he was sending on this mission. Paul, again, is going to identify Timothy as that proven servant. A proven servant. Because Timothy, he cares for others. Timothy cares for others. And Verse 20, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I actually prefer the NASB's translation for this verse. It translates this way, For I have no one else of kindred spirits who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Even the, the Christian Standard Bible says, I have no one else like-minded. The idea is that Paul loves this church and, and he cares for this church and there's no one else that is at his disposal at this moment in time when he is writing this letter that, that shares that same level of concern that Paul would have for the church. I have no one else like him. No one else who is like-minded in this manner. No one else who thinks this way, who is a, a kindred spirit who would be along with the Apostle Paul having that same mindset of concern and love for the church. If you remember when we first were working through the opening passages of the book of Philippians, the, the tenderness 
that Paul was expressing it towards the church, but how he longed for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul loves this church. Paul loves the people there. And now he sends Timothy, someone he is confident in, who has that same like-minded mindset towards the church, that kindred spirit of love and care for the church. You know, when I was working electrical and very much still learning the trade, the company that I worked for at the time had a, had a guy who, I guess you call him the fixer, I suppose, if you give him a nickname. He was a guy that when there was, there was a problem that needed to be solved, there was a particular electrical problem that needed to be addressed, he would be sent out on those calls to fix the problem. There was, he was widely recognized as the go-to man in the company, the best electrician in the company. If there was a problem, this was the guy who could bring about some sort of solution. It could be a complex problem. His solutions sometimes had to be creative, but he would solve it. He would figure it out. Sometimes those jobs he would be sent on weren't pretty. They were not to be the most exciting jobs, not the kinds of jobs that many people would volunteer for. Like, yeah, I want that job. And yet, this was the one who was sent because he could do the work. And it doesn't take much, what I hope is, sanctified imagination on my part to envision a scenario where if this man was confronted with a situation like, here, you, here I need you to go fix this problem. Why do I have to go? I don't want to go take, take care of that. Why do I have to go? Imagine that he could hear something like, well, because no one else can do what you can do. No one else. I, you're the only one I can send with confidence. You're the one that I can trust to take care of this situation. Well, at this juncture of Paul's life, that man was Timothy. I have no one else like-minded, no one else that I can send, that I have that full confidence in for the task at hand. Notice a few other details of what Paul says about Timothy and his care for the church. He says that he, there's a genuineness to his care. I have, I have no one else who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. A genuineness or a sincerity in the midst of that concern. Others might care, but not with sincerity. Not with a genuine heart. Not without ulterior motives. Paul says that's not the case with Timothy. He's genuine. There is a sincerity there. His concern was genuine. But there's also concern. It was sincere. It is also a genuine concern. The word concern speaks of a deep inward care. One commentator wrote that it is such a care that, quote, monopolizes the heart's concerns for others. Often this word is used in a actually in a negative context, when, in, when speaking of our being concerned for ourselves, it is often translated as anxiety in the Scriptures. And we are told, do not be anxious for anything, right? The words of Jesus Christ. And then later in this same book, Paul is actually going to use this same word in that context, that do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And so when this, when this concept is used for ourselves, it is a a negative connotation about being self-concerned about the things of life. But when the context uses this word in care for others, it is commendable and it is a positive connotation. 
is used of individuals who have such a heart for others that, that their focus ceases to be about ourselves, but rather our hearts are drawn towards others. There's a, a concern, there's a love, there's a care for what other people are going through, seeking to meet their needs. The focus ceases to be about ourselves and becomes on others instead. Parents know what this is like, right? If you see a child, they sustain an injury, you, you rush over and find out, oh, okay, are you hurt? What's the extent of your injury? And, and seek to console that child as, as, as he is uh, crying in the midst of that injury, lurking to learn the extent of damage to the, to the injury there. Well, this was Timothy. Paul says, no one else is going to care for you like this. I have no one else that I can send that I can be confident that is going to exercise this level of care and concern and not just be concerned about himself, but rather genuinely concerned for the church. In the ESV and the NASB, we have that word welfare. There's no one else who's going to be concerned for your welfare. The CSB says interest. The New King James says who will be concerned about your state. The idea is of their well-being, how they are getting along. And in the light of of the context and of this entire letter, I think this is referring to how they are doing spiritually in their walk with God. How they are getting along in their personal walk with the Lord. And in chapter 1, verse 11, Paul prays that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In one twenty-five, he says he desires for their work, he desires to work for their continued progress and joy in the faith. And then all through chapter 2, The focus is on their spiritual lives as they seek to live worthy lives of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul was confident in Timothy that this was a man who was genuinely concerned for their spiritual well-being. He wasn't there to get something from the church. He wasn't there to, to maneuver his own personal position, but rather sought to serve the church, to be genuinely concerned for their spiritual well-being, that he might benefit them. In some ways, I find verse 20 to be almost, a, it had to be a sad sentence for Paul to write. I have no one else who will care for you like Timothy. There's no one else like him. There's no one else who is like-minded in this regard. No one else at his disposal in that moment who would view things in that way. Sadly, it seems that this was a rare mindset. A difficult mindset to come across. No one else who would care for the Philippians. And, and the reason for the rarity, it says in verse 21, he says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What devastating words. They all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. Turn with me for a moment back to chapter 1. When we were working through this portion of Scripture, we saw that, that Paul rejoiced even in his less than desirable circumstances because the gospel was being proclaimed in, in his circumstances as, as much as he would have loved to not be in prison... The circumstances were providing new avenues for the gospel that he would not have had otherwise. And so he was rejoicing in light of that. Furthermore, he says that there were others that were being emboldened in the gospel ministry because of his own chains. But even in the midst of that, he recognized that 
Not everyone had upright motives. Not everyone had upright motives, but that didn't keep him from rejoicing that Christ was being proclaimed. Look at me at chapter 1, verse 12 and following. Paul writes that, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout all the imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. A new boldness. The gospel going forth. But then he acknowledges a a sad reality in the midst of that. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others are from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul, even though he's rejoicing that the gospel is being proclaimed, he still sees that there are impure motives in the midst of some of these ministers. They're teaching a true gospel, and and so we rejoice in that, but the motives are lacking. They they are seeking to benefit themselves. They're seeking to make a name for themselves. There's envy, there's rivalry, there's selfish ambition in the midst of things. So even though they preached a true gospel, It was not with sincerity. And so we see the contrast between these individuals and what now Paul presents of the life of Timothy, who is genuinely concerned for others and seeking their welfare. It's a sad reality that some do serve in order to be served. They view it as a transactional thing. I'm helping you and the expectation is that therefore you will benefit me in some way. That I'm going to get something out of the deal. And such a mindset demonstrates an artificial love. I remember growing up in in one of the churches I was a part of, that there was such an individual in the church that he would not lift a finger to help anyone unless there was some way it would benefit him. That he was going to get something out of that relationship, that it was going to position him in a more favorable place within the church, or that it would enrich him in some way. Not financially, but there'd there'd be some benefit to himself within the church. That is not what Scripture presents for us for how we ought to be living our lives. He's seeking his own interest. And this is the mindset that Paul warned against. Right back in in chapter 2 now, as as we come into chapter 2 and we see in verse 3 and following, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We're not to be like these ministers. Okay, yeah, they're, they're proclaiming a true gospel and we rejoice in that, but we're not to emulate their motives. They are seeking their own benefit and we're not to live that way in the life of the church. We're not to jockey for position to benefit ourselves, but to humbly serve others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Sadly, Paul says that there, you know, there's enough self-seeking individuals in the world. There's enough of those. We don't need to be like them. We don't need to be one of those. Sadly, 
there were more individuals that seemed like that than there were individuals like Timothy. It's sad to say that if this really was such a rare trait to find, Paul had no one else like him. And as I was studying this text, I, I found myself praying, Lord, may this never be said of me. May this never be said of, of me that, that I seek my own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may it never be said of anyone who is associated with pillar fellowship that we seek our own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But rather, may we be like Timothy, having that genuine concern for others. Here at Pillar Fellowship, we have several core values. We read one of those this morning, the core value of a fervent prayer. Another one of our core values is others-oriented service. And it flows out of passages like this one. And other passages that call us to have care for others. That core value is written in this way. It says, we selflessly serve others, both in the church and the community, as an expression of the love of Christ. Well, Timothy was such a man. He was not motivated by his own interests. He was not motivated by what he could get out of the deal. Rather, genuinely wanted to love and care for others, willing to set aside his own interests for the sake of serving others. A proven servant cares for others. Second, a proven servant proclaims the gospel. Look with me at verse 22. providing further contrast between those that are seeking their own interests and Timothy, Paul writes, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul continues that contrast between the the ministry of Timothy and and those that are self-seeking and says that this is a man, you know Timothy. You know his proven worth. That concept of proven refers to the experience of going through a test with special reference to the results. And that's Timothy. That is Timothy. He's been tested. He has proven himself to be a valuable asset in ministry. Just like the gold that that has to be tested to see how valuable that gold actually is, to know the purity of that gold, A testing process has to be gone through. Well, Timothy has been tested and he has proven himself valuable. Well, how is it that he has been tested? Well, Paul tells us right here in the text. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. We think of, this used to be true more years ago than than it is true today. We still see it in some places today where there would be a father who has, has a business, he has a trade, and as he raises his children, he, he trains them in that trade, right? There, uh, the, one of the companies I used to work for was an example of that. There was the father, he had the company, he had the business. Well, as his son got older, he was handed the tools. Okay, now it's your turn to learn the trade. And, and he would work with the dad in the field, and he would, he would be trained in that trade, in that vocation. If it's a carpenter, he would train and learn the skills of carpentry. If it's a farmer, he would learn how to farm and how to tend to the land or tend to the animals that would be part of the, the farm. And so as Paul expresses this concept, that's, that's the idea of what has gone on with Paul and Timothy. 
Timothy has come alongside the Apostle Paul through his missionary journeys, and he has served with Paul, and he has been trained in gospel ministry right alongside Paul. Paul, as the, the father figure, he has is led by example. He has shown Timothy. He taught Timothy. And we have further instruction of what that will even look like in the books of First and Second Timothy. And then Timothy came along, and, and he learned, and he began to exercise the gifts that God had given him in gospel ministry as well. And Timothy served like a faithful son to his father in these things. And he served in the gospel. Paul worked, uh, Timothy worked very closely with Paul. He learned from him and he served with him in the gospel. And this is critical. This really is critical. That they labored in gospel ministry. They weren't just traveling around doing whatever it was that they felt like, but they had a, a particular mission in mind. They had a particular goal for their ministry. And it was the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, His resurrection. The fact that all who will repent and believe in Him will be given a new life. This is the core message. The passages that we turned to earlier show that Paul was rejoicing in what? The proclamation of the gospel. That others were boldly proclaiming the gospel as a result of his time in prison. This is, this is everything that drives the Apostle Paul. This is what his ministry has all been about. And in Colossians, Paul wrote that we proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. And to the Corinthians, he wrote, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul's and Timothy's fundamental message, their purpose, their aim in ministry, their goal was this, to proclaim this message, that we are sinners who rightly deserve God's wrath, but God who is rich in mercy, He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, take the wrath of God on our behalf, and that all who will trust in the finished work of Christ will be given eternal life, will have their sins forgiven, will be granted access to the Father, will be granted entrance into the eternal kingdom, adopted as sons and daughters of the King. This is the message that Paul has brought. And this is the fundamental message of the Scriptures as we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ. This is why we have these banners. We proclaim Christ. We exist to glorify God by proclaiming Christ that every individual might hear, believe, and follow Him. These banners, this, that statement, again, it's, it's not just something that sounds nice and it looks nice on the wall, so there we put it up there, but it serves a real purpose for us. It's to direct our minds, to direct our thoughts that this is what the ministry is to be about. That we are here to proclaim Christ. And this is the ministry that Paul had made his life about, and, and he trained Timothy in this as well. Care for others is driven by gospel truth. The gospel is what transforms us from being self-centered individuals who are seeking our own interests to seeking and care for others in others-oriented service. The gospel transforms our hearts so that we no longer resemble the crooked and twisted generation that Paul referred to just verses ago, but rather transforms us into being lights in the midst 
of that crooked and twisted generation. It is through the gospel that God has begun a good work in us and will complete it until the day of Christ, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 6. And it is through the gospel that God continues to work in us and through us, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Paul has been calling us to live a life that in reality is impossible to live apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he says to live a life worthy of the gospel, we cannot do that if we have not yet been first been given a new life through the gospel itself. And then out from that flows a life that serves others. Paul says Timothy has proven himself valuable because he was tested in the fires of gospel ministry. A proven servant proclaims the gospel. And finally, a proven servant is trustworthy. A proven servant is trustworthy. As we continue reading on, Paul says that, I hope therefore to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Because Timothy has proven himself, now Paul says, I'm going to send him to you. He's proven himself to be a trustworthy man in the midst of gospel ministry. You know his proven worth. You know how he has engaged in ministry. You know how he cares for you genuinely. I trust Timothy. I trust him and I send him to you as a trustworthy man. This idea is kind of, I think, present explicitly, as Paul says, therefore, because he is a proven man, I am sending him to you. But also implicitly at the beginning of the paragraph where he says that, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. Well, Paul would have not been sending this man along if he didn't first trust him that he was able to perform the ministry that he was asking him to do. The whole reason that Paul was going to send Timothy in the first place is because Paul trusts him. He trusts that Paul's concern for others is genuine and that he will be there for the benefit of the church and not for his own sake, but for the genuine benefits of others. As we've discussed in our previous gatherings together, Paul, he was in prison when he wrote this. And he didn't know the result of what would come about of his trial. He did not know if he was going to be released. And he acknowledged the very real possibility that he could be executed. So he anticipated that that the results of his trial were going to be coming soon. And so he wanted to send Timothy along. But he was waiting, it says in the text. He was waiting to hear how it will go with me. To hear the verdict of my trial before I send him to, to bring that news of me to you. And then eventually he does hope to make Paul does hope to make it to the Philippians himself. But he is sending Timothy along and he, he trusts him for this important task of bringing news of Paul to the church. I find an interesting contrast here as well. Two weeks ago we talked about how we, we are to live lives in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. And we talked about how that word twisted can carry the connotation of dishonesty. We live in the midst of a, of a culture, in the midst of a generation that there is dishonesty. There's people who cannot be trusted. 
But now here Timothy stands in contrast to that. Timothy is a trustworthy man. He is dependable. He is a proven servant who is trustworthy. And so Paul commends Timothy to us. A man who has proven his worth. And friends, this is what a life looks like when we have gazed upon the glories of Christ. This example flows out from what Paul presented for us of the example of Christ when when we have this beautiful picture of of Jesus Christ who existed in the form of God. He, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself in taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. That's the picture of Jesus Christ living out that example. And this is what it looks like now. Because again, we, we study this passage on Christ and we look at that and we like, have this mind in you. Like, oh, we can't do that, Lord. Like, how are we supposed to live that out? Paul says, well, here's how. Here's what this looks like. Timothy, who has beheld the glory of Christ, seeing what Christ has done for us, living a life transformed by that truth, seeking to humbly serve others. Like gold whose value is unknown in, until tested, Timothy's value was not known until he was placed on the front lines where he proved himself. Timothy lived out the principles of humility that were on display in Jesus Christ, thus displaying the characteristics of a proven servant. A proven servant cares for others. A proven servant proclaims the gospel. And a proven servant is trustworthy. For you know his proven worth. Let's pray. O oh Lord, that this phrase might be said of each and every one of us. For you know his proven worth. Lord, that, that I pray that your grace would work within us, Lord that, that great, your grace would work within me, that that could be said of me. That I would be faithful in the ministry that you have placed before me. Each of us, Lord, in our different spheres of influence, wherever we live our lives, you have called us to gospel ministry with those that we interact with. I pray that this could be said of each and every one of us, that, that others could look at us and say, yes, we know their proven worth that they are trustworthy individuals, that they proclaim the gospel, that they have a, a genuine concern for others that seeks their well-being and is not concerned only for themselves. I pray that you would work that out with, within us. I pray that this would be the, the natural outflow of our lives as we behold the glories of Christ, that we would live lives of humble service to others. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Timothy. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.